Hey everyone, this is Andy. Uh, I'm getting over a cold and I'm not in my normal studio here, so sorry if the sound is a little off from usual, but uh, you're listening to the podcast Opinion Science, except you're not. I, I was sort of. It's a podcast within a podcast today, a little experiment. I've been listening to a lot of different examples of audio storytelling lately because this, this medium is just so cool to me and so powerful, and I don't know, I got inspired. It got me thinking... Could we get a little more creative with how we tell the stories of social science? And so here we are. It's an occasional When I Feel Like It series of mini podcasts that I'm calling Portraits. The idea is just that these are little snapshots of the people, places, and things that make up the science of ourselves, told in a, in a sort of narrative experimental way. Um, so some of these are going to be recuts of interviews that I've already done for opinion science or for other projects. And maybe some of them will be totally new. Um, for the inaugural installment, I'm going back to a conversation that I had last year with Dr. Vanessa Bonds. She's an associate professor of organizational behavior at Cornell University. And the timing is perfect because she has a book coming out tomorrow. Uh, it's called You Have More Influence Than You Think. And I actually just read it myself, and it's it's really great. As you'll hear, Vanessa's been studying what happens when we have to ask other people for something. And as it turns out, in these kinds of scenarios, we have quite a bit more influence than we think we do. We ask people basically how effective they think they'll be at getting someone to do something for them. Uh, and then we have them actually go out and ask people to do that thing and record how many people they can get to do it and then come back and tell us the answer. And then we compare their predictions to what actually happened. We had people go out and ask people to fill out a questionnaire uh, and they would guess how many people, you know, will I have to ask before five people agree was our very first study. And they went out and then asked people and while they thought they were gonna have to ask 20 people to get five people to agree, they actually only had to ask 10. So they had to ask about half as many as they thought to get people to agree to this request. We also took advantage at Columbia of the fact that the, the gym is really hard to find on the Columbia University campus. Um, and so it's this kind of like underground building that would be really easy to walk by and, and not see. We would have our participants go down to the bottom of campus, like the south end of campus, and tell them to ask people to bring them to the gym on the north side of campus. And they had this little cover story. It was like, I, I can't find the gym. Can you just show me where it is? Can you walk me there? And so people would walk them basically all the way across campus uh, to show them where the gym was. And they, they thought the same thing. They thought they were gonna have to ask uh, twice as many people as they actually had to ask. In fact, in that study, they only had to get one person to agree and they only had to ask two people on average before they could get someone to agree. It's like watching people go on this emotional roller coaster. They come in not knowing what to expect and we tell them you're going to go out onto campus and ask people to do something and they just hate that idea. You know, they're like terrified. They they ask all sorts of questions like, what if I can't do it? What if everybody says no, you know? Um, and they, they, or they'll say, you know, what if it takes more than an hour because we would allocate an hour to the task. But they have this expectation that it's going to be awful and it's going to be super time consuming. And it almost invariably takes less time than they expect and it's easier than they expect and people are nicer to them than they expect. And so they come back to the lab and they're in such a great mood and they're amazed and they, they kind of bound back into the lab. So you do see them 
have this sort of aha moment from doing the study. It would make you think that maybe people can learn. Um, and actually there's a whole sort of game slash industry built on this idea that you can learn from this experience called rejection therapy, that if you go out and just try to get rejected, that you'll get over rejection and realize that actually it's harder to get rejected than you realize. But at the same time, I think a lot of people say, well, if it's so easy to learn, then why do we continue to have this bias, right? Why, why does it persist? Why am I even finding it at all? And I think we just in ordinary life don't actually ask people if we think they're gonna say no. We don't go through something like this. I've been interviewing deans, university deans, because they don't have a lot of fundraising experience traditionally. They usually come up through academia. Uh, and then they're put in this position where they have to ask donors for you know millions of dollars sometimes. And so I've been talking to them about what it was like to become dean and ask people for these things. And even they, express this sort of surprise the first few times that they ask people for these big donations because as the context shifts you know it's not like uh, strangers are going out and asking you know strangers on the street for a million dollars but the whole context sort of shifts and so our expectations don't shift as much with the context and again i mean it's not it, clearly not in any of these studies is everybody saying yes you're still getting rejection in fact half of the people are saying no like you could flip it and say half the time you're going to get a no you know so it's not like you can get anybody to do anything but the basic idea is that people are more likely to do things than we think We kept kind of upping the ante of pro-social things that people could ask for. And then we kind of shifted and wondered, you know, could this even apply to unethical requests? We ran a few studies. We started small again, and we kind of just tinkered with that questionnaire study that we started with our pro-social requests. And we created this sheet of paper where we had our participants go out and ask people to basically sign the sheet of paper and tell a white lie on it. So they would say that they were supposed to be doing this marketing pitch about a new course on campus. They would go up to people and they would say, you know, I want to, I'm supposed to do this pitch. I really don't want to do it. Will you sign this piece of paper and just say that I did it, right? So just telling sort of a white lie. Once again, they guessed how many people would say yes to this or how many people they'd have to ask before they could get a certain number to say yes. And it actually looked exactly the same as our questionnaire studies. So we didn't see any difference when someone was sort of telling a white lie. But at that point, you know, we said, you know, the, you could still potentially reframe that as pro-social. Sure, this person's sort of telling a white lie, but maybe they feel like they're doing it. It's a pro-social lie, right? They're doing it to help somebody out. So we wanted to try to come up with something that was kind of clearly unethical, that was pretty unquestionable. And so we came up with the idea of getting people to vandalize a library book. Um, and so we took a bunch of books that I had on my shelf and we put uh, library codes on the spine and we told our participants that they were going to go into libraries to make it a little bit more realistic and ask people, random strangers that they approached to write the word pickle in a library book. <laughs> we, we thought really hard about the right word, like what word is cranky enough, you know, where you're just like, okay, that sounds like a prank. So they were supposed to go up to people and say, I'm trying to play a prank on my friend, but they know my handwriting. Will you please just write the word pickle in this library book? 
and they would just hand the book and a pen to this stranger and record what that person said for us and how many people said yes. And we saw the exact same thing. So it was crazy. More than half of people that they asked agreed to, to vandalize a library book for all they knew that it was an actual library book. And so they would write pickle in it and it was, you know, twice as many people as our participants thought actually agreed to this. Some of our participants came back and they were surprised at, you know, how unethical other people are. <laughs> <laughs> Not sort of recognizing that really the takeaway was how hard it was to say no to peer pressure. They would basically be saying like, will you take responsibility for this? You know, like, I hope we don't get into shit for this. And, uh, you know, are you sure about this? You know, they were there was a lot of hesitation there that was kind of like, I really don't. It was making it clear. I really don't want to do this, but I'm going to go forward because, you know, you're going to take the fall. I'm going to um, and I feel like I can't say no in this moment. I had to work really hard to not use the Spider-Man quote of with great power comes great responsibility. But that's basically sort of an underlying theme in the book and in my work in general is that if you have this impact, then you have that responsibility to use it wisely, right? So if all the, you know, when you do something, more people are watching you. When you say something, it lands on people with more weight than you realize. That means that you have to actually watch your words more and be more careful and just, you know, use that influence with, you know, take responsibility for that influence and just use it more wisely. I definitely feel more confident that if I ask someone for something, they would say yes, particularly if I ask face to face. But that doesn't necessarily mean I ask people for things more. People kind of assume that's what the takeaway is. But part of the takeaway is that in some cases I ask for things less or I try to make it really, really clear that someone can say no to me. So like if I need something that will make someone else feel good, like when I, I like to give the example of like when I was pregnant and I needed a seat, you know, everyone's looking on their phones or not really paying attention to whether this pregnant lady needs a seat. And sometimes I'd be like, oh my God, I really just want to sit down. Well, you know, I started feeling comfortable just asking because I knew if I asked someone, they would say yes. And then they would frame the whole situation as being like, oh, I helped, you know, a pregnant lady out today. Um, so I felt more emboldened to ask in those sorts of cases and less worried about rejection. But at the same time, I'm really aware of power dynamics and how power dynamics can make us even more blind to how hard it is for people to say no to us. So like if I'm going to ask a junior colleague, for example, to take on additional service work or to do something um, that they might feel uncomfortable doing for whatever reason, I try to make sure I'm actually not asking face to face. I kind of reverse all the things that I tell people if they want to have influence so that I give them more space to be able to say no if they want to. And I try to make it really clear that they can say no. Vanessa Bond's new book is You Have More Influence Than You Think, and it's available tomorrow. Pick it up, give it a read, you'll be glad you did. You can find a link to the book in the show notes. What you heard Vanessa talk about here is mostly just tied to the chapter titled Just Because You Asked. But the book goes way beyond this, complete with references to Mr. Magoo and other cultural icons. It's a book that I actually really enjoyed reading, and I think you will too. If you want to listen to the full interview I did last year with Vanessa, go back to episode 21 of Opinion Science. 
We cover a lot more ground than you heard here, and we explore all the ways in which we're wrong about how other people see us. It's one of my favorite episodes. Anyhow, this has been Portraits, a podcast within a podcast in partnership with Opinion Science. I'm Andy Luttrell, and back to our regularly scheduled programming next week. Take care.